We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today is presented by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and MyBookie's going to match your deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. So if you put in $1,000 to open up your account as your first deposit, they will match it up to $1,000. You'll have $2,000 to play with. If you just want to open up the account with $50, you'll end up with $100 uh, to play with. They've got all of the NHL and NBA playoff games, including the two play-in games tonight in the Eastern Conference. Charlotte, Indiana. Uh, Indiana is a three-point favorite at home against Charlotte. Boston is a two-point favorite against the Wizards tonight. The Caps and Bruins all knotted up at a game apiece. Game three tomorrow night. So you've got plenty of options and plenty of NFL already uh, to bet. You can bet week one games right now uh, if you would like. No preseason odds quite yet. Um, but plenty of futures bets and prop bets on the NFL. Just go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and you'll get your first deposit matched up to $1,000. MyBookie, by the way, has got a casino, full-fledged uh, casino experience. They've got weekly blackjack tournaments that will give you and all of your friends a crack at prize pools of up to 50 thousand dollars my bookie at mybookie.ag all right tommy's with me today we've got caps we've got wizards we've got some washington football stuff to get to but you just told me that you were all caught up on mayor of Easttown. and i forget if we had this conversation last week uh, about episode number three, which was really, to me, a step-back episode, and I didn't like it at all, and I thought, wow, this is getting way too busy. Is Was that conversation with you? No, you didn't have it with me. Okay. But, uh, but I mean, Epi- uh, one of my issues with episode three... And we're talking here as if people have watched this, okay? Yeah, so we should so, put out the we should put out the proverbial spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah. alert, Mayor of Easttown. We're going to talk about episode five from Sunday night, which 
um, I thought was pretty damn good. And I think this show is pretty damn good. Um, but whatever. They can fast forward. It's a podcast. You, you can get right to the Caps, Wizards, and Washington football team stuff if you'd like to. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, my, my main issue with episode three was this notion that she planted the drugs in her, the mother of her, of her son's baby's right. car. Okay. And it took her boss two minutes. <laughs> I know. To figure it out. <laughs> yeah. This crack detective is going to do something as dramatic as try to set somebody up. And she leaves a trail of crumbs that her boss figured out in five seconds. That's a good point. It, that was just, that was, uh, that was not credible to me. She would have been much more methodical. Even if she was drunk, she would have been more methodical about doing the setup and protecting herself. I'm just so curious. That, 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 that bothered me. Did you know when she was going through the evidence room that that was heroin? No, I didn't. Either did I. I wouldn't. I didn't know it was heroin. Um, I thought it was Cheerios. <laughs> you thought it was Cheerios. <laughs> Honey Nut Cheerios at that. Um, I thought the episode on Sunday night was outstanding. Outstanding. Like this show, I cannot. I wish I could have immediately gone to the final two episodes after episode five. First of all, you know, fast forward to the end and the scene where she discovers this serial, you know, um, whatever you want to call him. He's been, he kidnapped uh, a girl over, you know, about a year ago, kidnapped a girl recently, is keeping them in his home slash bar. Um, and that was, I thought that was a, a great thriller, you know, um, riveting kind of a scene, you know, I thought it was well done. And by the way, a shocker, um, that, uh, poor Zabel goes down if, you know, spoiler alert too late now. Um, but I really was starting to enjoy his character. Uh, I, I'm not over the top on this show. Like you are, I enjoy it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, if she's running this, like running around, doing this case investigation that she's not supposed to do, she's bringing a weapon with her. I mean, she's, she, I mean, every cop has more than one gun. (laughs) Yeah, maybe she did have it taken away with her badge. She's not supposed to be there. Right. So I don't think she's going around investigating anywhere with, with her, with her partner, even if it's off the books without some kind of weapon to protect herself. So it's just little things say fine. And I right, look, I know everyone is is just nuts over uh uh Kate Winslet's, you know, uh I'm not performance. I'm not as this okay. I mean, because I mean I it seems like the whole infatuation of the show is how she has transformed herself from this British actress to this Philly girl. You know, and I mean, I've seen lots of actors do stuff like like that. So I'm not that head over heels about that. It's a good show, and la- and the episode was was good. I just don't like it as much as you do. I don't think. Um, look, I, I, after episode three, I was down on it. The last two episodes have brought me back. It is to me, it's an outstanding thriller slash whodunit. You know, which I'm going to ask you here in a moment who you think did it with two episodes left, because we have now found the kidnapper. 
of the Bailey girl and the other girl, we are still looking for the killer of Aaron. You know, that's obviously what going what will what the last two episodes will be about. You know, there's been a lot written on this show. This show's getting a lot of attention, and one oh, yeah. and, and there have been several stories already written on Kate Winslet's attempt to pull off this Philadelphia, you know, accent, which she says is the hardest that she's ever had to do. Um, and you know, for me, if it was an actor, if it was an actor that we weren't familiar with and we didn't know was a Brit, um, I'd say she's doing a really good job if she wasn't from Philly, but it's Kate Winslet. So it's a little bit, I, I don't know. It's a little bit forced. I don't know that they needed it to be that authentic for the show to be great. Um, but beyond that, I, I think, um, I think the, the thing that a lot of people that are watching the show are doing is you know trying to figure out who it is and you know I think I mean I there there are list there are several potential suspects my my theory in all of those all of these things are typically you know it's the least um, of the people that you suspect right now with two episodes to go and it's going to be a shocker as to who killed Aaron when all of uh, all of this is is said and done I do have a guess. And I'm going to tell you why it's my guess here in a moment. But do you have one? Yeah, uh, her uh, her her professor boyfriend. Well, he wasn't even on the episode Sunday night. I know. Yeah, I know. Which was weird. Yes, the, the, I mean, he, his invisibility has me convinced, and he's he's kind of a. A squeamy guy, anyway. I don't know. I I agree with you. A little bit, a little bit sketchy, but you know, for, yeah. for that for that part of the country, you know, sort sort of you know, upstanding um, compared to the rest of them. Uh, at least he's not related to any of them. Uh, yeah, it really point. is. Again, I I mean, I lived in a small town for years. You know, it ain't like they're not all like this. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand. All right, my guess is it's her best friend, high school teammate, has high school classmate, you know, who Julianne Nicholson um, plays her best friend. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's she's outstanding in this show. You know, she's got the second billing on this show. You know, I, you, she, was, she was in Law and Order Criminal Intent. If you watch, you know, the credits afterwards, she's got the second billing, and yet she's had sort of an insignificant, for the most part, yeah. um, she's been an insignificant character, but... The the connecting the dots would be that her husband, who sort of is leaving the house because he's committed infidelity again, that it's very possible that the husband is the father of Aaron's um, of Aaron's son, and this has driven her crazy. And now that there was another, you know, indication of infidelity, obviously Aaron is dead, but the son, you know. Uh, you know, is is hiding some secret that she thinks is infidelity could be something else. I think she's got something to do with this. That's a that's a good observation. I think that that uh, I, that would I be like a lo- that one more than mine. That would be a long shot too at this point, don't you think? Yeah, but at least you've got some kind of premise. I just threw mine out there because he was invisible, particularly in this last episode. 
uh, of late. I I, uh, I noticed that. I thought it was weird that he was not in the episode. Also weird that essentially, you know, she was falling for, for not. I, I wouldn't say she was falling for Sable, um, but that the two of them, you know, were out on a date, and it was more sort of for her own purposes um, to 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 stay in the case. Um, but yeah, there's been something strange about him, no doubt. I think and, that, you that know, that... I don't like I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but Z- Sable's a loser. He's a loser. You mean in this show? Yeah. Why? Because he, he doesn't fa- have what's what's he got going? He lives with his mom. He lives with his he mom. He didn't solve the he case did, that he said he in solved. Upper Darby didn't f- solve that. He lied about that, and he's clearly got some sort of drinking issue. But I, he's not very, he's not very amusing. He doesn't seem to be very intelligent. He's a whiner, you know. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't get the attraction there. But I like your theory on, on uh, her girl, her girlfriend. That, I, that's pretty good. I think he was becoming a very likable character. I do. I think he was becoming a likable character. And by the way, I think it was shocking that he went down Sunday night. Um, the, the last thing I was just going to say is, you know, really, we left Sunday night thinking that, you know, um, it was either John, potentially, you know, Lori's husband, you know, Kate Winslet, you know, Mare's best friend's husband, or John's brother, you know, because they're, remember, they are cousins with, you know, Kenny, who's now in jail after shooting... Right. You know, after shooting, um, who, by the way, Dylan sort of made this comeback as a suspect to a certain degree. Yes, he did. But it's Billy. By, by, by getting rid of the uh, the, the, the journals. Uh, the journals. And, and then, you know, she, it looks like, based on the preview of the next show, that he's going after Aaron's best friend who, you know, found something in one of those journals, you know, that she stuffed in her pocket. But Billy, the, um, the you know, the cousin uh, to Aaron's dad, Billy was the one that's sitting there in Mare's house. They're watching, by the way. I think it was a Villanova basketball game. Uh, I, it was. It, I, I'm pretty sure it was a college basketball game because um, you hear him scream, "Pass it! Pass it already!" Um, but Billy clearly un, made uncomfortable by the uh, revelation that Aaron had lived with him for a while, and then he leaves with the full beer on the table right after he said, who wants a beer? And there's no doubt that she's looking at him. And they made it seem to me coming out of that episode that he's the number one suspect now. Well, I mean, and it, to that, me, and that would be too obvious. The, she took that beer bottle and checked the D, it's checking the DNA. No doubt to see if he, to see if he's right. the father. Right. And, and we don't know. I mean, we never saw her doing that, but we assume that that's what she's doing by the fact that they made a big deal of the beer bottle sitting there. You know, uh, the the uh, you know her her ex husband Frank. Yeah. She and na- your namesake David Denman, who played Roy in the office. Played Roy. Yeah. On the office. Yeah. What? Why you think he's coming back as a potential suspect? No. No, I don't. I I, I like your theory. Uh, but what? Best, but what about what were you going to say about him? I was just going to just note that for people who may not have noticed that, that that's Roy. Oh, that that's Roy from The Office. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also. And Joy, by the way, Julian Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see the movie Black Mass with with uh, Johnny Depp plays uh, Whitey Bulger? 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's not called Black Mass. No, you know, you're not the, not the Departed. No, 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 I, no, no. The other one. It's not called Black Mask, though, is it? I, I think it's called Black Mass. Oh, Black Mass. Yes, I thought you said Mask. Yes. Yeah, Black no, Mass. Black yes, Mask. I, yes, I did see that movie. She's she's uh, the FBI's director, the FBI guy's wife in that. She's really good in that too. That was such a good movie, and the whole Whitey Bulger story is such a yeah. you know fascinating story. But uh, I'm enjoying the series. I just not. No, I'm. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not like True Detective season one. I'm, over I'm with. Over it. I'm sort of with you on it. I mean, I I am definitely a Kate Winslet fan um, for a lot of reasons, and I think she's good in this. I think the accent just throws me a little bit. Um, but I think it's. Look, I thought episode three was like this is getting ridiculous, and I, I actually not for the reason you mentioned, but that is a, a good reason. I just thought it got way too busy, and it's like things were happening too quick, and it's like you're trying to follow all of it, and you've got you know you've got her daughter that's now in you know a you know a, a, a relationship, and it's like where is that going? Is that even significant? Yeah. Um, I, I do, th- and, and then of course we we saw the the you know father. The father throw the bike, and now we got an explanation as to why he had the bike, which, by the way, I believe. Here's another potential suspect, the other priest. I mean, why is he even in this series? He's related to... I to, know uh, he is, to Mare. Every, yeah. They're all related. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, you know, the um, the mother, what's her name in real life? Jean Smart. She's excellent. She may be the, She's the very be- good. She may be the best actor in this whole thing right now. Yeah, she's really good. And and they do, you know, they do weave some comedy into it. And that was funny when what's his face called her out for having an affair at his yeah. wife's funeral. And the two of yeah. them in the car driving back in hysterics. That was pretty their relationship is actually well done, I think. But, yeah, that was good. Yeah, um, it's a good, it's a good whodunit, and we got two yes, episodes left. But, yeah, but I'm with you. It's certainly not the greatest show I've ever seen. It is amazing how um, how promoted it is, Tommy. I don't know if I mean online. It's amazing how much promotion there's been of this, um, and how much is being written about it. And I would I would imagine in part it's because it's Kate Winslet. I would think so. Uh, it's, uh, it's the show that I've heard from friends and relatives asking, are you watching this? Yeah, me too. I've had so many, I was somewhere the other night and somebody brought it up and there were like four people are like, oh my God. Yeah. And, and six, yeah. six other people said, oh my God, I got to get to this. I, I keep hearing about this show. Um, have you ever seen, yeah. Did you ever see Bosch? Bosch? No, I did not. Okay. Well, you're, I know, you're doing heard. yourself a grave I've, disservice. I've heard. Okay. I've I heard. mean, it's 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 made by Eric Overmeyer, the producer who did a lot of Law and Orders and did worked with David Simon on on The Wire, on the wire. and Tremay. Yeah. But uh, Bosch, if you like this, you'll love Bosch. <laughs> God, it's so hard to just watch all of them. It's just incredible, you know, how much there is. Um, Bosch, is, it's out there. It's like seven seasons of it, I think. Really? Seven? At least. What was the show last summer with Nicole Kidman that was a really good 
um, thriller as well. Do we, I watched that one. It was Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. What was that called? I don't recall. We 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 talked about it. We both watched it. I'm pretty sure we both watched it. It was it was a it was a real good another real thriller, and I forget maybe seven episodes as well. Hold on, I'm looking it up because I mean it seems like a lot of these shows we've we've watched or oh yeah, The Undoing. Didn't you watch The Undoing? No, you have me mistaken with, with another one of your close friends. <laughs> I thought we talked about The Undoing on the podcast. Maybe we didn't. Never seen it. Well, that's something you should watch. That was really good too. Okay. That was excellent as well and that's that's that you can binge because it's out there and it was it was 6 episodes. 6 episodes. Um but that was pretty good too. Uh, all right, so we both would say we would both recommend Mare of Easttown. You're not you're not gonna if somebody says no, hey, I is it worth it. it? Yeah, I would definitely yeah. recommend it. I really I think the 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 trying to figure it out is a, a lot of fun. Um, and and the episode the other night that scene when they walk up to that house and maybe you're right maybe she should have had a gun because she's a you know she's a cop and she's a detective but it seems like she's sort of the cop like almost Andy Griffith like where she doesn't need a gun she knows everybody and she's able to solve all these problems because she's either related or knows all these people pretty much from the jump you know when she's in the in the house where the guy lost his wife because you know they 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 think there's like a peeping tom or somebody's you know around and she walks in and she's sort of just you know tr- uh, trying to get him to calm down she she, well, she may she may be andy griffith but she don't live in mayberry <laughs> there's this is not mayberry no, no it's not um there's no pond down round yonder to catch some catfish no. in uh no, there's no otis the town drunk to <laughs> sleep it off in the jail no but there is a lot of drinking a lot of drinking yes, and a is. lot of drugging oh yeah um because life's so miserable there yeah, one other quick thing, and when we uh, before we get to the Caps, and then we will get to the Wizards, and we've got some Washington football stuff, including some follow-up to Ryan Kerrigan. Um, I just saw this, and I just mentioned it to you before we started. The ratings for the Caps-Bruins Game 1, which was Saturday night on NBC Network TV, um, they're, they're out. And I was surprised by something that you told me not to be surprised by. The um, the rating locally in Washington D.C. for Game One on Saturday night was a three point four. I mean, just so everybody understands, that's not a good local rating for anything. As bad as the football team's been, they're still they're still going to get you know elevens and twelves as bad as they've been um, in games. Um, and you know if they're good this year, they'll be in the in the twenties. Uh, Boston led the way for local markets with a nine point two, so essentially nearly three times the rating that Washington had. Providence was the second highest rated market. Obviously, a lot of Bruin fans um, in Providence. Fort Myers, Florida, was third. Pittsburgh well, that's, was that's where that's where the Red Sox train. Oh, very good. Very there you good. Go. Uh, Pittsburgh was fourth. Baltimore was fifth. Baltimore did a 3.7 rating for the Caps game, and Washington did a 3.4. And you said 
that that is not unusual for Baltimore to get a higher local rating for Caps games than Washington. I didn't know that. Yeah, there is a very active and passionate hockey fan base in Baltimore. The Caps have known it for years. That's why they used to try to play these exhibi- an exhibition game up in Baltimore every year. It turned out to be a disaster because the arena is so old and the ice would be in such terrible shape that the players refused to do it eventually. But uh, yes, I mean, there there's a very active Caps fan base in Baltimore. They usually get good ratings when these things come out. Uh, I remember there used to be a, a, an American Hockey League team, the Skipjacks up in Baltimore uh, that played at the yeah, I remember uh, that. Baltimore Arena for years. And and I just think, uh, particularly when the Caps were in Landover, they'd get, they'd get more uh, Baltimore spillover. And uh, huh. yeah, I mean, this is not unusual for Baltimore to put up that kind of number. Had no idea. No idea that Baltimore got uh, – they, they get occasionally, if not more than occasionally, a better rating than Washington does for Caps games. It doesn't surprise me that – you know because I think Baltimore is you know a more hardcore sports city than Washington is. It's a more you know, fanatical you – know, look, we, we've said this many times. It's more blue-collar. Washington's more white-collar. And a lot of the blue-collar cities end up being better sports cities. And I would bet even better hockey cities. That's, that's a reasonable – connecting other dots i'm sure there's probably outliers to that or or uh you know comparisons that aren't accurate but i think that's reasonable let's talk about the caps game two loss to the bruins right after this word from one of our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dillon trying to clear his zone. It is held on to by the Bruins. They'll keep it in. Grizzly goes right side. A shot. They score. And the series is tied. Brad Marchand with a one-timer on the first shot of overtime from the bottom of the right circle. And it takes 39 seconds. The Boston Bruins have even the series at one on a game-winning goal by Brad Marchand. And that was the game winner by Marchand, 39 seconds into overtime. Tommy, it ended quickly in the extra uh, session 
Um, overtime hockey in the postseason is so awesome. Uh, the Caps won the first game Saturday night in overtime. And last night, you know, I think, and I had Tark El Bashir on the radio show this morning. And I said, you know, they had that lead three to two. It was tied up with two minutes, 49 seconds left. And then 39 seconds after that in overtime, it's over. Just just like that, they went from a commanding 2 nothing lead to a 1-1 series with Lars Eller injured and some questions about, you know, uh, whether or not they, you know, they they they've gave, they've got a goaltending situation. I mean, I thought Anderson was great, but he's 39 years old, and they peppered him with shot after shot all night long. It was just a it was a missed opportunity, I thought, to take command of the series early on. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it was going to be a tough. I, I think that given the, the fact that the Caps are playing without their goal, starting goalie and. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they've been pretty competitive. I think they've been pretty good. I like their chances to win this series now. I mean, it depends on Lars Eller if, if, he, if he's healthy or not. Yeah, Eller, I mean, it, Eller's a big I mean, deal missing him. They, you yeah, know, they don't have enough yeah. centers. Right. Uh, you know, they, they, they've got some depth issues there. They've got issues. They haven't been a good face-off team this year. And Lars Eller's been their best guy uh, for that. Uh, so if they, I think, oh, look, if, if they could get healthy and have him back on the ice, I like the way the Caps have handled the series so far, given their goaltender problems. Um, I mean, what happened last night in part is, is they, they ran, I mean, it should have been more than 2 nothing. It should have been like, I mean, the Caps should have taken an early lead in that game, but they ran up against a good goaltender. Yeah. A hot goaltender last night. Yeah, it was it was one of those games. It was just back and forth. Like the Caps owned that first part of the first period. I thought Manta yes. had, you know, multiple chances to score. Um, it was two two at the end of the first. Uh, I think at one point the Caps, you know, were out shooting Boston twelve to three, and it ended up thirteen twelve the other way. They allowed forty eight shots. Uh, on goal, that's a hell of a lot. And Anderson stopped forty-four of the forty-nine. You mentioned face-offs, and I know that you know uh, Tark was explaining this morning that the analytics people in hockey don't get that wrapped up in that statistic. But there's a thirty um, uh, face-off, uh, you know, win-loss difference. Uh, it's eighty to fifty in face-offs in fa- in favor of the Bruins through the first two games. That's somewhat significant. Uh, and Eller being out is is a part of that. Eller being out also with no Kuznetsov, etc. You know, you got players playing out of position a little bit. Um, but I thought it was an exciting game. I, I thought the Caps had the opportunity early in the third with those two power plays. Early in the third, after sort of getting screwed in the second on two penalties that I thought were bad calls against the Caps, including the embellishment penalty, um, it, but but they the Bruins didn't capitalize. The Caps had two opportunities early in the third. They ended up getting the go-ahead goal anyway after those two power plays. But then over the final ten minutes, other the Bruins just dominated. And and yeah. they and even though they didn't tie it up until there were two forty nine you know two minutes and forty nine seconds left, I thought that um that it seemed like over those final ten minutes they were the better team and they sort of had the momentum going into overtime. You know, you may be right. Uh, one thing I one thing I noticed, and I didn't see the Caps hardly at all this year, is 
uh, and this makes sense since he's got ex- uh, playoff experience. They're much, I think they're much better coached than they were under Todd Reardon, uh, particularly for postseason play under um, Peter Lavallee. How do you pronounce his name? Lavallee. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you do you you do say the T. You don't. The T's not silent. The T's not silent. Okay. I don't know. It could be in French. Who knows? Okay. Well, I mean, uh, I think the way they've handled themselves these first two games, they just look like they're they're better prepared than they were uh, with, with Todd Reardon going into the postseason. So that's why I've got a little bit of confidence in them being able to wind up taking this series from Boston. I'm just, I didn't in the beginning. I, I just threw out uh-huh. that they were going to lose. I don't feel that way anymore. I'm just, but again, I mean, it depends on how healthy they are. I'm just curious. Um, in your last uh, two minutes of talking about the game, you said you didn't really watch the Caps much this year, and you right. had no idea how to pronounce the coach's last name. <laughs> do, you, I, I, do, you I think, do you think maybe we should just stop right now? Well, how much? How much did you watch the Caps this year? I didn't watch the Caps that much at all this year, but I did know how to pronounce the coach's last name. But 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 I but I I don't watch a lot of regular season hockey ever, and I. So why are you giving me grief about? It? I just I'm I'm not giving you grief. I'm asking you a question. Do you think we should should go you on? Know, I wish you I with wish analysis you on those Cheerios that you were. <laughs> I wish you choked on those Cheerios you were eating before the show. That's that's not very nice. Um, yeah, well, I would have preferred to have had a, 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 a bowl and some cold milk with those Cheerios that I was eating before. Um, I also have Magic Spoon in here. Uh, Magic Spoon, I'm looking right now at a box of Magic Spoon Fruity Flavor, which is the only box right now. They'll be sending me a new box, but I ate all the other uh, boxes, including the cocoa and the cookies and cream, which were really good. The Fruity's a little bit too... Um, much for me, but I love the other flavors. Uh, look, um, here's the other observation I would make about the game. I do like playoff hockey, and I'm watching these games. I watched the game on Saturday night. I watched the game last night. Alex Ovechkin was a tornado on Saturday night. He was hitting everything that moved. He was awesome. I thought last night, and I brought this up with Tarek on the radio show, I thought he was sort of missing in action last night. And it was not a good game, and Tarek agreed that it was, you know, his his presence was not felt in the game last night. So they need him. You know, you said you 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 feel pretty good about the Caps with the goalie situation and two close games and winning one of them. A lot of the experts were picking Boston before this series. They were basically an even money choice with caps with the caps who are the higher seeded team with home ice advantage whatever that's worth um i don't know where i would put this right now i'm trying to find updated series odds right now um at my bookie they should they don't always update the series odds right away um right now the bruins are favored to win this series they're minus 200 to win this series the caps are plus 170 now that's not unusual when the lower seeded team that is on the road gets a split and is going home for two games. You know, so that's not that unusual and it's not like that's an overwhelming favorite, but it's a pretty solid favorite. So Vegas sort of likes the Bruins and maybe it's because Kuznetsov and Samsonov, you're not sure about their status at all with Lars Eller down. Um I'm I'm not overly confident that they can win this series. I 
really thought up up three to two with three minutes to go that they were three minutes away from having sort of full command and that they completely blew that over the final three minutes of regulation, giving up the tying goal and then losing it, you know, basically right away when overtime started. I do love overtime. It's so shocking when it ends. And you know who's so good is Joe Beninati. He is so he is. good. God, yeah, he's good. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned Kuznetsov before. Yeah. What a major loser this guy's been for the franchise. Well, other than he was I, phenomenal when they won it all. Right. And and people expected him to, to, to take the next step and become a superstar. Right. And basically, he, he, he got caught using drugs yep. on the video, had to go into rehab, now can't play because he, he, he's, he's, uh, he's got COVID. Or he's been with people who have COVID. Right. Something – I think there's something missing from that whole story with him and Samsonov. Well, I mean, I, he has been a major disappointment for the franchise. People thought that he would step up and be the top dog uh, after that that playoff, that tremendous playoffs. 12 goals, when they 20 won the assists Cup. that year. I know. I know. And uh, – He's failed miserably since then to live up to that. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's pro- there's a bit of an issue there with him. But he's extraordinarily talented. Remember, people were telling us after that year that he's the most talented player on the team. He's the yes. most gifted player on the team. All right, well, game three is tomorrow night against Boston up there. I, you know, I, I I watched after, you know, yes, I did do this. After the Bruins-Caps game ended last night, I turned on the Avalanche and Blues, which had started. And I find, you know, playoff hockey so um, entertaining. The first night of the playoffs, Saturday night, or the first two nights of the playoffs, and this is typical, I think, of every year. The first two nights of the playoffs, you had four games – or three games, they were all one-goal games, two overtime games, um, and uh, I'm sorry, you had four games, here it is, on Saturday, Sunday. You had four games, all of them were one-goal games, three of them were overtime games, and in three of them, the lower-seeded team won. And it's all, look at the game winners, look at the goals, they're all so, even last night, not the game winner, that was a beautiful setup, and Brendan Dillon had the turnover you know, uh, you know, had the bad clear that led to, you know, the pass to the pass to the shot um, that Bergeron made. And I know that he's a great player and, and it was a great shot. That was not one of those lucky shots that bounces off three skates and off, you know, off the, the goalies, you know, or between the goalies pads into the five hole, as they say. Um, But man, a lot of the goals were that way, (laughs) including the goals that the Caps scored. It just yes. seems like in these first two games. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, everybody said before this series started, this is a six or seven game series with a lot of close games, and so far they're right. Two overtime games, one one. We'll get to the Wizards Celtics right after this word from one of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, tonight, Wizards and Celtics in the 7-8 game. Uh, 9 p.m. tip in that play-in game following Charlotte and Indiana. The Celtics are two-point favorites at home. They've had a lot of injuries. They've got a lot of things going on there. They've played very poorly coming down the stretch. The Wizards, the opposite. Um, even though the Wizards do have some injuries, Neto is still probable. Beal, you know, whether or not he'll be 100% is still in question. Um, I like the Wizards to win, and I think I said this yesterday on the podcast. I really want them to win this game tonight because I think if they lose this game tonight and they end up playing Charlotte, I think that that's going to be a problem. Um, I also, Tommy, believe that this is huge, not just for Scott Brooks, um, who I had on the radio show yesterday. Um, I think this is really big for Russell Westbrook. I think Russell Westbrook, you know, the – the stretch of games that he's had, and by the way, he was named Eastern Conference Player of the Month, averaging along with his coach, who was named Eastern Conference Coach of the Month. Is that true? I didn't even know that. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for telling me that. Um, because I saw the Westbrook uh, news uh, about being named Eastern Conference Player of the Month. By the way, at twenty six, sixteen, and one. I mean. Those are unbelievable numbers. Like he's not, you know, he's not just barely eking out triple doubles. Um, anyway, uh, I think they need to win this game tonight. Boston is there for the taking. Obviously, Beal's health is going to be a big part of it. You know, I hope he does what he did in the fourth quarter the other day. There were like three quarters of of almost playing possum using your favorite description. And then he unloaded on, on Charlotte in the fourth quarter. Uh, it'd be nice to get Neto back. I think he's a real key player for them, but, West, but Westbrook, Tommy, given his recent playoff, you know, performances and bowing out and a lot of first rounds and, 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 and on, on teams in which, you know, his team was favored in some of these series to carry this team, Get it into the postseason after being 15 games below 500, and then really pushing somebody, you know, like you know Philly or Brooklyn. If they win tonight, they're going to play Brooklyn in the best of seven. I don't, you know, it's not going to be a, a make or break. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously, but there's still the question about Westbrook about whether or not you know, he makes enough winning plays, and if you can win with him, I think this is a big stretch for Westbrook on some level. Do you agree or disagree? I don't think this is that this is going to prove a whole lot. Uh, what if they were to win a series as a seven seed against Brooklyn? Yeah. What if they beat Brooklyn in a seven-two series? Yeah. Then that would, that would say something. Okay. So at the very least, this could create an opportunity for Westbrook to yes. enhance his postseason legacy. 
Yeah, that that would say something. Uh, if 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 they turn around and beat beat his old his old teammates, uh, Kevin Durant's Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But this, I don't think that. I mean, look. I mean, you know, the fans that still exist, they're very happy and elated. But let me ask you a question: What is this game anyway? What do you mean? What is this game? What is it? Describe it. Uh, it's a play-in game. It's not a postseason game. And what does it game. mean? It's an extension. It's not a postseason game. That's. I. I don't think it's a postseason game. I think it's the extension. But you don't know. Um, you you said you listened to my interview with Scott Brooks yesterday, and I asked him. I was curious as to whether or not anybody. And he doesn't know either. He didn't know either. But my guess. I know. My guess is this is not considered a playoff game tonight. This is considered to be almost an extension of the regular season. But I don't know what the answer to that is. I. Look, a playoff, the playoffs in the NBA are series, and the top eight teams make it to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference and in the Western Conference. This is just an extension of the regular season to, to determine the seventh and eighth playoff teams in each conference. Okay, uh, let me tell you this. The NBA has done a piss-poor job of explaining and, and defining what this is. I mean, baseball does the same thing. They have a wild card game. Well, the, one and done. Well, that's easier. You know? to, that's easier to understand. Yes, it is. I mean, this why is you, what, what play-in do you mean? game. It's got to be the postseason. This has got to count as postseason, or else they play m- one more extra game than everybody else in the or in, well, uh, Tommy, in the regular Tom, season. Tommy, if if. Uh, if two teams in the America in the American League East this year tie for the division title, what happens? They play a playoff game. It's not. It's a. It's a one game it's playoff. A play but it's playoff con- game. But it's considered an extension of the game. regular season. It's not counted in playoff stats. That's a good point. So, but there's no confusion about it. I mean, the coach couldn't even tell you what this means. <laughs> um, I think they're calling it a. Do they? I'm looking to see what they. It's a fair point. They're calling it the NBA play-in tournament. It's a play-in tournament. Look, I like it. I think it's fine. I do too. I, I'm just saying they haven't done a good job of explaining, it, and nobody really cares. I mean, it's it's you know. People understand, like you know, they they win this game, then they get a chance to to uh, get, get killed by the Brooklyn Nets. Well, but uh, I mean, but uh, look, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think I think they are a fun team to watch. Let me give you something else about this playing thing, okay? You know, there were multiple ways to do this. I, I like I like that there are four teams competing for the final two spots. Um, and I kind of like the way they, they did it with sort of a single elimination and a double elimination possibility. They could have done the following. They could have done seven versus 10 and eight versus nine in basically a two game series where if the, you know, the seven seed beat the 10 seed, it was over. But if the 10 seed beat the seven seed twice, the 10 seed was in and the seven seed was out. That would have been on some level. Um, an opportunity for the seven seed. They earned the better seed of the four teams to play the, the at least the lower seeded team, the, the higher seeded team, lower seeded team, the ten, um, which it would be you know 
presumably the weaker team. There were lots of ways they could do it. The way they chose to do it, seven versus eight and eight versus nine, with the winner of nine, ten advancing, the losers out, and the loser of the seven, eight gets one more chance. I kind of like the way they're doing it with that as well. The bottom line is the seven and eight should have a better chance to make the field than the nine and ten seed. But they could have done it with a two-game set with seven versus ten and eight versus nine, and it would have, I think, essentially gotten them to the same point. I'm, supr- I wonder why they they chose this way. Anyway, um, so you like them against Boston, you don't like them against Charlotte. I think Charlotte's a bad matchup for them. I bet Charlotte on Sunday in that game. Um, I bought the half point, played them plus seven in that game because Charlotte plays a lot of zone. Tommy, they play as much zone as anybody in the league. And the Wizards play more isolation basketball than anybody in the league. In fact, they have more isolation possessions than any team in the league. And they're not as successful on their isolation possessions as as other teams that are high isolation teams. And I think when you are an ISO team playing a, a team that plays a lot of zone, it's a problem because the best way to beat a zone is for the ball to move quickly and for the ball to be passed you know, and reversed, and then you can attack. Um, when you come down and you're trying to play ISO against a set zone, that's tough. Um, and so I don't like the matchup. I was surprised they actually won the game the other day. Um, Charlotte covered. Um, and I think if they play Charlotte again, that they could lose that game. So I'd like to see them win tonight. Um but then again, Charlotte could lose to Indiana, so uh, who knows? I, I was going to mention one one of the. Uh, by, by the way, I think the key to, to tonight's game is pace, as it always is with the Wizards. The Wizards have to rebound well, um, and they've got to keep up the pace. Marcus Smart's health will be huge for Boston because he's just such a talk about a guy that plays winning basketball and makes winning plays all the time. Smart does. Um, but uh, I, I like Washington's chances. Let me w- say one other thing about this plan. The NBA missed an opportunity tomorrow night. This Golden State Lakers seven versus eight play-in game tomorrow night could have potentially been the number one highest rated TV NBA playoff game until the NBA Finals. And they're starting this game at 10 o'clock. That's ridiculous. And that is ridiculous and a big mistake by the league, I think. Now, you know, I guess the Lakers are at home, but if the Lakers are playing NBA Finals games at home, that game starts at 9 o'clock, you know, so it's or sometimes at 8.30 Eastern time. So if it's 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and I understand LA is a big market, okay, and I understand the Bay Area, Golden State they're playing, is a big market, but they're going to miss out on much of the East Coast by starting this game, and it won't get nearly the rating it would have had this game started. Um, if they'd So tonight is 6.30 and 9 p.m., Tommy, and tomorrow night is 7.30 and 10 p.m. They should have done tomorrow night 6.30 and 9 and had the Lakers and Golden State play at 9 o'clock. I, don't, I think it was a, a, a big whiff on their part because it is a game that I'm actually really interested in watching. I'm going to be rooting like hell for Golden State. God, it would be great seed. Now, the Lakers can't get eliminated tomorrow night because it's the seven versus eight game. Right. But it would be really, really interesting if they lost and then had a play-in winner-go-home game against either San Antonio or Memphis. Um, Anyway, I like this. I've heard a lot of people say that somehow – 
it fucks with the integrity of the regular season. Oh, there's no in, there's no integrity in the NBA regular season. <laughs> it's just that, that is ridiculous. They have yeah, more than half on. their teams make the postseason. We're talking yeah. about the last two spots, and the NBA needs something like this. Look, the NBA was gimmicky but way back in the day. They had the miniseries. They had the best two out of three. Remember that, Tommy? Yes, yes. In the 70s, they were always looking for ways to make it a little bit more interesting early on and get attention early on. Um, no, so- I mean, there's no there's no hallowed ground that they're they're desecrating here. You know, with the NBA regular season, my God. Yeah, exactly. The NBA and and they wouldn't be doing this in hockey either. the The most exciting thing in the NBA or baseball or hockey is a game seven. You're essentially starting off your postseason with like game sixes and game sevens. You know, like you're you're almost there. Like tonight, the Charlotte Indiana game is a game seven. The Wizards-Celtics game is more like a game six with you know the, the winning team clinching and the other team still having a chance one more time. I, I love it. I think, it's a, I think they should keep this even when they go back to the 82-game spot. And it does do all the things that it wants it to do, which is keep more teams in the hunt late in the season so you get less tanking at the end of the season. I agree. And in this particular— It doesn't do away with it totally, but I agree. And in this year in particular, where you don't have a dominant team, like an obvious team, I mean, I think the Lakers fully healthy are still, you know, a big time favorite. But like in the East, like getting in and just, I mean, nobody, look, the 76ers and Nets are really good, but it's not like, you know, the Heat from a few years ago where there was. Right. There was no chance. Or, you're or the be LeBron Le- Cavaliers. Or even the LeBron Cavs. True. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, no, I agree with you. Uh, I just wanted to let people know that I wrote a column about the Wizards. You can read it on WashingtonTimes.com. Click on sports, or you can find it on my Twitter account or my Facebook account. It's, it's pretty much what we've already talked about. Uh, I mean, basically, I crowned Tommy Shepard the obviously clear winner of the John Wall Russell Westbrook trade and how it's taken me a while to get used to the fact that Ernie Grunfeld doesn't run the team anymore. And I, I mean, I had to get out of that mentality to look at this team moving forward and to explore possibilities as to where they could go down the line now. Uh, and well, it's taken me they, a while. Where to, can they go? Huh? Where can they go? Well, I think I, I think I think under under Tommy Shepard and in the in the limited time that he's shown uh, for putting together a team, I think I think the possibilities are there to be a competitive Eastern Conference team. In other words, to, to make it to the Eastern Conference champ, championship game series, series and play play in that series. Not not this year, mm-hmm. but. I mean, like I, I, I'm saying, I think they can break beyond the Wizards' limbo of 45 wins and an early exit with Tommy Shepard, at, at, you know, running the thing. That said, I also point out, like we've discussed a number of times, is I don't think he expected to be pressured to keep Scott Brooks at the end of the season. 
I don't think he anticipated that. Hmm. And I think he's in a real bind. Interesting. I wonder if he is in a bind or if he just wants to see what the the last month extrapolated over an entire season next year looks like. He's been waiting to be the general manager of an NBA team for years. Yeah. He's had an idea of who he's wanted to coach that team, uh, probably a number of different names. Uh, I don't think the coach that Ernie Grunfeld hired is one of those coaches. Yeah. Um, now, but but he may not. Look, I mean, you got Westbrook going on uh, telling reporters, you know, he's my guy. He he lets me be me. God, if there was a telling quote, that was it. <laughs> There is no doubt that I don't I don't know what Tommy Shepard's plan was. You know, um, I would certainly say 50, you know, fifteen games below five hundred. Scott Brooks's chances of coming back were zilch. Um, but uh, I, you know, I asked I had Tommy on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, sincere question: Did you ever at any point early in the year? regret making the trade because you know it wasn't just that Westbrook was hurt he when he was playing he looked like his best days were behind him but I guess they knew that it was really because of the injury I also believe this Tommy I be, I, I believed it at the time I believe it much more so now bottom line is they didn't want wall in this organization anymore no. and and they no. they they've been saying all of the right things about wall you know uh during the trade and even when they get asked about it now but what happened this summer with the gang sign video that you know that whole thing in a business that isn't doing well and even pre-pandemic this team is not one of those teams that does well uh, financially. You know, the NBA is a very fine line league between the teams that really do well in terms of, of you know, make money um, versus those that don't. And the Wizards need playoff games and several of them every year, you know, to finish in, in, a, in, a, yes. in, a, in a good spot and a good position financially. And that really pissed them off. That really angered people in the organization because essentially they're saying you're supposed to be our guy. We gave you this contract, and you're you're hurting our you're hurting our business, and our business yeah. isn't very strong anyway. And then of course you know I think that there was a lot of other things that maybe we don't even know about. But they they there were, that's one of the things I pointed out in my column that while he might have been beloved in the community. There were moments where he was a nightmare for this organization behind the scenes. I don't know if and it was a nightmare. Do you he, think it was a nightmare or that oh, it was yeah. just very no, frustrating? No, nightmare. I think there were nightmare moments for this team hmm. with, with this guy. Uh, and uh, he was never going to be the guy to lead a culture change. No doubt. Uh, on the court. That You just hit it. You, you, just hit the, you just hit what Tommy Shepard has told me multiple times. And that is they had to change the culture. I mean, it's almost a Ron Rivera thing, right? I know. Um, I know. That they had to change the culture in the kind of people they were bringing into the organization for this roster. They had to bring in, you know, and it, it, he never mentioned John's name whenever he talked about this. But I, I definitely think that that was part of it. They have to, 
it, it's a whole new experience he's looking for, you know, and a whole new uh, player culture, locker room culture. And one of the reasons that I think they felt great about the trade is that they were bringing in a guy that maybe they didn't think could win a title for them in Russell Westbrook, but they knew that one of their two best players, and I think they felt confident in the kind of person that Bradley Beal was too, that you're going to have your two best players be your two hardest workers. And the two guys that you could rely on most to do the right thing. And I think that that's really the direction that they wanted to go in. You know, if Westbrook was on his last few years, it was still better even if John physically came back to what John was and maybe had seven or eight years left. They needed to change the culture. And, you know, you said this many times, and you were right, I think Ernie, you know, I don't think Ernie was the worst general manager ever. And I think many times you essentially tried to, you know, basically equate him to Vinny Serrato. And I don't think that's what he was. But what he did consistently make the mistake on was culture. You know, he, he picked and traded for and brought in people that you just couldn't win with. So, and no. to, Tommy Shepard's he trying put to no do the value. Opposite. He put no value on it. He didn't put enough value on that, no doubt, and maybe zero value on it when you consider something. Remember, he's the guy who brought Latrell Sprewell to New York. Yeah. Now, that uh, short term paid off for him a, a little bit, but it, 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 it speaks to the value of character and what he placed on it. Yeah. Um, by the way, somebody sent this to me right before the show, so I've not had a chance to listen to it, but I'm just going to ask you – if you heard what Kwame Brown said. Oh, yes. So, so, oh, yes. So one, it's, it's, a tra- it's a train wreck. And mostly it, it, it dumps on Steven Jackson, most of it, with some Gilbert Arenas in it. But, uh, I mean, he's, he's kind of an, he's an unhinged character, Kwame Brown. He's a bit unhinged. <laughs> oh, really? What, what's, I think so. what's this about? I don't know. Well, then you I know don't what? know what provoked Let, it. Let's save it for Thursday. Let's save it for Thursday because I'll go okay. listen to it. Somebody sent that to me right after the show this morning and said, "Why didn't you talk about this?" And I said, "Well, I had not seen it." But apparently, you're not going to be able to use it on the show. I can tell you that. Oh, really? Not without a lot of beeps. And it's bleeps. it's some podcast that he was on, right? I think so. I, there's a video of it on Facebook. Okay. Balls, ball for life or something like that. That Do, might be doesn't it. Doesn't he go off on Jordan and, and Gilbert Arenas too? And, and the excerpt I saw, it was Stephen Jackson, uh, Matt Barnes, and Gilbert Arenas. Okay. Matt. Well, Matt Barnes does have a podcast. Uh, and by the way, okay. I think I think he has the podcast with Stephen Jackson. I well, could, I think that was. They must have been. They must have been talking about Kwame Brown because he was pretty upset. Okay. Um, all right, let's finish up with some Washington football stuff and Ryan Kerrigan follow-up right after this word from one of our sponsors. 
you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Wanted to read uh, this um, this tweet from Brian on Twitter. Uh, this is not directed towards Cooley and Kevin because we did talk about Kerrigan on the podcast. I think this was much more directed towards me and what I said about Ryan Kerrigan on the radio show um, yesterday. And and I'm bringing it up as a way to get Tommy's thoughts on Ryan Kerrigan ending up in Philadelphia. But Brian on Twitter wrote, "Kevin, you were too tough on Kerrigan." He's the all-time sack leader. He's a top five active. He's top five active on fumble forces, forced fumbles. Never missed games, played hurt more. He was more than just a very good player, as you said. He was one of the best of his era, and the numbers say that. He was also one of the only things that made fans feel occasional moments of happiness during so many years of misery. Uh, I agree with that. I'm not happy about him going to Philadelphia, but I really hope he plays well against everybody except us. Um, That's from Brian on Twitter. Um, So, Tommy, I'll just tell you what I said. I I mean, I I find it just so interesting. I mean, I... Somebody uh, tweeted to me yesterday during the show, man, I'd hate for you to write my obituary, Sheehan. Uh, And then, you know, they they killed Cooley and I, even for what we said on the podcast. And this is what we said. This is what I said. He was a really good player. He was a really good player. He's going to be a ring of fame player for this organization. Uh, he had unfortunately, um, unfortunately, had to play for a miserable organization with many coaching changes, with many defensive coordinator changes, with many defensive coordinators who weren't very good. You know, he played at times, I think, out of position, certainly was in coverage too much over the years, but he was a very good player. And by the way, I have no I, I have no problem with him going to Philadelphia. I hope he doesn't play well against Washington twice a year, but I, I, I'm rooting for Ryan Kerrigan, great guy. And somehow I'm killing him? Why? Because I said that it's not even a conversation about him versus Dexter Manley. Well, guess what? I'm right. It's not he's not even in the same room or even in the same house with Dexter Manley. Dexter Manley put the fear into opponents' offensive game plans. Dexter Manley is the greatest pass rusher in the history of this organization, and there's really not a close number two. And if if there is, it's Charles Mann, not Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan was a really good player. 
He is the all-time sack leader in part because they didn't start keeping the sack numbers until after Dexter's career had started. Dexter's career was a little bit shorter, too, and definitely impacted there towards the end because of all the things that he was involved in and going through. Um, Ken Harvey was a better pass rusher than Ryan Kerrigan. All right. Yes, he was. Uh, Chase Young, Chase Young, and Montez Sweat are already more of a concern for for offensive coordinators than Ryan Kerrigan ever was. Ryan Kerrigan. It doesn't mean though that I think Ryan Kerrigan sucked. He was a really good player, and I gave you all of the you know the things that he had to overcome. Maybe. If he gets drafted by a different team and he's a 4-3 defensive end, maybe he's even thought of in, in a higher sense. But he was never, ever in any situation the kind of player that he was. He was never in his own era going to be what J.J. Watt has been or what Von Miller's been or what Khalil Mack's been or on the inside what Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox have become. He's not at that level, people. Come on. You all watch football. He's a really good player. He's just not great. There's nothing I, wrong with saying that. I agree with everything you said. I, I, just, I mean, people, people have no idea. Listen, Dexter Manley was closer to Reggie White than Ryan Kerrigan is to Dexter Manley. <laughs> yes, that's okay. true. And much yes. closer to Reggie White than Ryan Kerrigan is to say Von Miller. Yes. you know so 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 I mean like he's a very good player. He did the organization proud. People who wore his jersey felt good about wearing Ryan Kerrigan's jersey. He will be in the Ring of Fame someday, as well he should be. But he's not going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. No I chance. I can guarantee you that. I had you. You remember Sabah, you know the caller uh, to to all the shows. She called in and tried to say he was Hall of Fame. I just I said you're you're embarrassing yourself. I'm now Ryan Kerrigan could go have four years in Philadelphia leading the league in sacks and end up in the Hall of Fame. But if he's in the twilight of his career and he's a situational pass rusher in Philadelphia and he doesn't you know he's not part of something super special and isn't you know special himself. He, uh, there's no chance he's a Hall of Famer. Come on, people. L.C. Greenwood's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys just don't know football or the history of football if you think Ryan Kerrigan's a Hall of Famer. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying he was a really good player. All of you think it's some sort of shot at, you know, it's it's disrespectful that he's the franchise all-time leader in sacks, and we're not saying he's great. Look, it's not all about numbers. There, I'll tell you what I thought he was great at, and I said this yesterday. I always thought he really played with incredible intelligence and anticipation. That's why he had you know a significant number of deflections. He also had the knack of forcing fumbles. He's fourth among active players, so contemporaries on forced fumbles. But no, he was not great. He was not a game-changing player. They have one now on their roster in Chase Young. Chase Young's got a chance to be what some of you think Ryan Kerrigan was, but wasn't. Now, what's so amazing to me is 
all of the defense of Kerrigan and how and all the love for Kerrigan. And by the way, I think I'm expressing some respect and 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 appreciation for Kerrigan. And then it's like he goes to Philadelphia. You're dead to us. Yeah. Um. <laughs> come on. I mean, something Beamish did, by the way. He did. And I'll tell you what, Tommy. I swear. I think I've told Brian this before. Obviously, I didn't want Brian to do well against us. But I, in, when Philadelphia, remember, was going to play off, you know, the playoffs each year and NFC Championship games, and Brian was p- continuing his career on a really good team. I was rooting for him so much. I rooted for all of those four. That, that's why when people, you know, a joke with me and they say, "Oh, why don't you move to Minnesota, Sheehan?" <laughs> So you can so so the Vikings and Kirk Cousins can be your favorite player. Every former player that I liked for this team, I rooted for. I rooted for Art Monk. I rooted for Gary Clark. I rooted for Mark Rippin. I rooted so much for B. Mitch when he was an Eagle, as long as they weren't playing us. Because, you know, he was in a lot of those high profile playoff games when Washington wasn't. Yes, and so you could root for him in those games. Um, God, I did, did he, he he did play in their Super Bowl, right? Didn't he play in their Super Bowl against uh, um, against the Patriots? Was he on that particular Philadelphia team? I don't think so. I think he may have missed it by a year. He may have gone to the Giants that next year, but he played in multiple NFC Championship games for um, for Philadelphia, multiple, and was great. Brian Mitchell was one of the real all-time clutch players in franchise history. Um, Absolutely. Look, I covered B. Mitch in 92 when they started using him more as a, as an offensive weapon. Sure. And not just a kick returner. Yep. And I always felt that he was still, throughout his career, underused. Gibbs really started to figure it out. Well, Pettibone's first year, Brian Mitchell was the starting running back in the in, in yes. the opener of the nineteen ninety three season and had a hundred plus yards against the Cowboys in week one when it was like, all right, we're back to where, you know, uh Richie's gonna do a great job and then, you know, Rippin got yeah, hurt I in always, week two and I always thought he was underused and I'm always curious, and I've never asked him this, if uh in if he thought in today's NFL if he could play quarterback because he was a quarterback coming out of college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he certainly would have a much better shot considering all of the college scheme stuff. Yes. You know, um, that in 92 in the playoffs, they played at Minnesota in the wild card round and B Mitch was phenomenal in that game. They used him as a running back. And I want to say that he had over a hundred yards rushing they used him on a fake punt that went for a big gain. Um, and then in the 49ers game the following week, which, as it turns out, was Gibbs' final game, um, you know, before he would come back um, 11 years later or ten, uh, 12 years later. Um, but in the mud at Candlestick in that famous, you know, playoff game, Washington's the defending Super Bowl champions, and they're down, they're coming back, and they're about to take the lead late in the fourth quarter and ripping in B. Mitch. B. Mitch was in there as the starting running back at that point. Um, they they collided in the backfield. It was yeah. a fumble. The 49ers recovered it and went on to win that game. If not, Washington would have 
And as B. Mitch has told me many times, and it's true, there was a gaping hole. He would have scored on that play. They would have taken the lead. Who knows if they would have been able to keep, you know, Steve Young and company from coming back down. But, they, you know, they, they were – that was, Tommy, you know what, for all intents and purposes, that was the last time the organization was elite. Yes. Gibbs left two months later after that loss to the 49ers. And, Jan- and you know, the loss to the 49ers came in January of 93. It was the 92 season. Gibbs leaves in March of 93. And it is, you know, at first sort of a slow descent. You know, you, you still had hope with the Cooks still owning the team and Charlie Casserly still the GM. And, you know, they gave Pettibone one year and then they hired Norv and, you know, you had a lot of bad seasons with Norv, and then, and then Snyder buys the team in '99, and it's been a train wreck ever since. But that was it. I mean, you—it's—we're coming up on 30 years since the organization was last truly, you know, at an upper echelon level, and then. Yeah. They were one of the three or four elite franchises in the league, if not all the sports. Yes. You know, the, the other thing interesting about Ryan Kerrigan, uh, and this speaks to our pal Mike Shanahan, uh, Mike picked Trent Williams as the number one pick in 2010, mm-hmm. Ryan Kerrigan in 2011. Yep. You'd be hard-pressed to find in the history of this organization – Two better back-to-back number one picks. Well, you've had them in recent years. Well, okay. Well, name them. Well, Montez Sweat was a first-round pick followed by Chase Young, and Montez Sweat followed Deron Payne. The problem was Dwayne Haskins was mixed in there, too. Um, Right, and I don't think they've played long enough to say that, you know, Montez Sweat or or Deron Payne. Fair enough. To say that they're comparable to the careers of Ryan Kerrigan and Trent Williams. True. True. I mean to get to to be on to to play more than ten years in the league speaks to the value of 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 uh, of a player, and both these players played more than ten years for for this team Boy, that, in, in that, the league. That would have really pissed people off if I had made the selection of Ryan Kerrigan if I had turned it into a Mike Shanahan appreciation. I segment. think you could have. <laughs> I I think you could have. You'd be hard pressed to find two two better back, number ones back to back in the history of this organization than those two. Yeah, I'd have to really think about that. Um, but, you know, certainly over the last many years, they did They did take Champ and LeVar and Samuels were back-to-back years because it was 99 and 2000, right? Yes. Yeah. So that, that even, would be it. Even though Arrington didn't have, you know, the career that everybody no, thought right. Samuels did. Yes. And Bailey did no, just champ, somebody champ else. And, yes, absolutely. But shit, I mean the the first but you round, know what? what? They they were they they were two different front offices. Well, yeah, of course. My point is Mike picked both these guys. Yeah, he did. He did. And I, you know, I remember saying about the Trent Williams selection, I'll never forget, finally, finally, they have taken an interior lineman, 
you know, in the first round of the draft because it had been a decade. And I and I can't I don't remember what the numbers are now, but I want to say that it was like Chad Reinhart and that may have been it in terms of a first three rounds taking an offensive lineman in like 10 years. Like they had not taken an offensive lineman in the first three rounds of the draft in like 10 years when they took Trent Williams. I, I may be off on that and I may be forgetting somebody, but it was it was like one or two players. And they took Trent Williams, and Trent Williams, you know, regardless of what you think, Trent, put, put it this way, Ryan Kerrigan was a really good player who will be in the ring of fame. Trent Williams has a chance at the Hall of Fame. Yes, Okay. exactly. He's been a great player, and there were moments where he let the team down. There's no doubt about it. And the way it ended is really, to me, still very unclear as to whose fault it was. Um, but yeah, uh, just remember the Kerrigan pick in 2011, they traded back and they passed on JJ Watt. So, uh, but you know, Jacksonville, as I pointed out yesterday, uh, Jacksonville and Tennessee, it was Jake Lockhart and Blaine Gabbert went before JJ Watt too. But, uh, that for all those people that think I'm dissing Ryan Kerrigan, would any of you not? trade Kerrigan for J.J. Watt back in that 2011 draft right now. Of course you would. Because J.J. Watt was a real star. Real star. Ryan Kerrigan, an excellent pick. They got 10 years of really good out of the 16th pick in the first round in 2011. You got anything else? That's all I got for you, boss. All right. I'm back tomorrow. Uh, We're definitely going to talk about the Wizards. Hopefully they get a win. Also, by the way, um, Mike Jones is leaving DeMatha. DeMatha's in DeMatha Tommy in 65 years of having the most storied high school basketball program in America. They've had two coaches, Morgan Wooten and Mike Jones. Mike Jones is getting the associate head coaching job at Virginia Tech. And I will have someone on tomorrow to talk about what's next at DeMatha because that is a big-time hire. You don't think of high school hires being big-time, but DeMatha basketball and who replaces Mike Jones, who replaced Morgan Wooten, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in this area uh, for sure. All right, uh, enjoy the day back tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.